0: This is the View from Apollo podcast, an ongoing conversation on alternative investing, economics, and the trends shaping up financial markets. When he's not spearfishing in his native Australia, Apollo's Dylan Fu is hunting infrastructure deals. In a wide-ranging conversation with Apollo Chief Economist, Torsten Slock, Dylan discusses the long-term case for infrastructure investing.
1: We're still very bullish on infrastructure. If you do it right and invest right, Infrastructure will be around a long term and has a really stable part uh, to play in the overall asset allocation.
0: Dylan also shares insights on what inflation and recent Fed moves mean for infrastructure valuations, why digital and energy transition infrastructure is so critical, and why middle market opportunities are especially attractive. You'll also learn about Dylan's commitment to ocean conservation and what Torsten does to decompress every Tuesday. So let's get started.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Torsten Slock, Chief Economist at Apollo, and you're listening to The View from Apollo podcast. My guest today is Dylan Fu, Head of Infrastructure here at Apollo. I'm excited to have Dylan here with me today to talk about infrastructure investing against the current economic landscape. From higher interest rates to persistent inflation, there's a lot of topics to explore. And I also want to hear his views on where the opportunities lie for investors today. So without any further ado, let me get right to it, Dylan. Welcome back to the show.
1: Torsten, it's uh, it's great to be here again.
2: So let's start with a macroeconomic overview as a backdrop for our conversation. Obviously, interest rates have risen quite steeply in the past year and a half with very aggressive Fed hiking and tightening lending standards, especially here after the failure of Silicon Valley Bank in March. What impact, broadly speaking, has this rising rate cycle had on infrastructure investing?
1: I mean, I think like every asset class, infrastructure is not completely immune to what's happening in the economy. By default, infrastructure assets are long duration. um, They have longer term contracts. They're essential. They should be relatively stable assets in the portfolio, but they're still impacted by what's going on in the economic environment. And so rising rate cycle has had some impact. I think the things that come to mind firstly are question marks over valuations, um, which is natural in a rising rate cycle. Probably the more practical uh, implication, though, is really a lot of infrastructure assets um, tend to be highly leveraged because the cash flows support it. And if you think about like project finance in its traditional form, it's really based off contracted cash flows that allow very high LTVs. So a lot of owners of infrastructure assets right now that have uh, leveraged capital structures are just looking at the impact that rates are having from a cash drag perspective and looking to manage the balance sheets of those assets. But, you know, I would say, you know, that is the practical implication. But on the other hand, like I said at the start, you know, if you're doing proper risk management, which, you know, large institutional firms like ourselves spend a lot of time thinking about, you should really try to mitigate the risk around some of these things in rising rates. And that's something that we focus a lot about in terms of risk management for these infrastructure assets to make sure that notwithstanding the fact that they are leveraged structures, they do what they're supposed to do, which is be relatively stable. Um, less impacted than say the broader economy.
2: Well, and and associated with that, I, I mean, another hallmark of this stage of the economic cycle has been how stubborn inflation has been over the last uh, uh, really 18 months. And we're currently running at an annualized rate of around 5% inflation despite all the Fed tightening. And of course, there are many reasons for that. Namely, you have that wage inflation is still very sticky You also have that more recently, some signs of residential real estate, meaning housing, is beginning to recover. That's also posing an upside risk. There's some more structural forces, deglobalization, issues with immigration and demographics, issues with energy transition. I mean, inflation is just still too elevated relative to where the central banks and in particular the Fed would like it to be. Uh, So the bottom line that is that if we're still well above the targets of not only the ecb but also the rba the fed uh, central banks around the world if inflation is still a problem which is also as you know and you and i talk about this frequently and what we write about in the daily spark often if inflation still is a problem and it's likely to be that at least for a few more quarters how does that impact how you think about investing in infrastructure today
1: i think it's a really good point because Infrastructure, you know, when the asset class started, you know, call it like 25 years ago, thereabouts, you know, and really started to get a lot of institutional capital coming into it. One of the things that folks were looking for when they think about just broader asset allocation, think about a pension fund, for example, that's looking at their overall asset allocation. They were looking to infrastructure really as almost like an inflation hedge within their portfolio. And the reason is because infrastructure assets typically at least certainly traditional infrastructure assets have longer term contracts that have inflation escalators in them and so most you know traditional infrastructure assets let's say let's just say a toll road for example with a government counterparty contract typically had those escalators in them so within a broader portfolio infrastructure was always seen as an inflation hedge now the asset class itself has evolved a lot over the last 25 years and infrastructure kind of means many different things to many different people We certainly view it as the more traditional definition, which is asset-backed contracts, monopoly type, you know, or dominant market positions, if you like, and really providing essential, you know, providing assets that are essential to the economy or to the society in which they operate in. So by default, inflation is less of a concern within traditional infrastructure assets. Now, where I think people, though, are getting caught out is the fact that a lot of infrastructure now requires big capex and big projects i so think about greenfield projects building a big wind farm building you know huge fiber or communications infrastructure a lot of those have obviously a big component which is construction and just labor elements to it and so i think the inflation has really hit a lot of folks that are building infrastructure um creating new success based capex and deploying capital in that space and being hit on that side and also on Notwithstanding the revenue, uh, I guess, hedge, if you like, the cost base for some of these assets on the people side of things, um, not, even though they're assets, they still require people to operate them um, and still require like labor, that's been hit pretty hard as well. So it, it's kind of you know, it's a little bit of both. On the one hand, there's protection and um, a hedge. On the other hand, there are elements of you P and; L that have been exposed in an infrastructure asset. How does it impact today's investing? Like, in our know, thinking about it, we're still very bullish on it. Infrastructure isn't really something where you kind of, you know, sort of daily trade, if you like. I mean, we're taking a long term view. Most of these assets will be around for the next 20, 30, 50 years. They're essential. You have to make sure you're factoring in the current macro, which does, to your point, have higher inflation in it and higher rates, and factor that into your valuations. But if you do it right and invest right, Infrastructure will be around a long term and has a really stable part uh, to play in the overall asset allocation. So another way of saying that is that if, if I tell you that I'm worried
2: about inflation being elevated for the next, say, four to six quarters, you are then your response would be, well, four to six quarters, true, that does seem like an extended period. But from an infrastructure perspective, that's really a very short time span compared to the duration of most of these assets. Uh,
1: I'd say that's right. And I don't want to be dismissive of it because clearly it's a problem for the broader economy. And like I said, infrastructure is not immune to broader economic issues. But we would, fa- you would factor that. And if you're doing a new investment now, you would factor that into your valuation, which is something that we spend a lot of time, you know, with you and your team on, just thinking about how we value some of these assets in the current environment. But notwithstanding that, um, on a longer term basis, like you say, these assets are a long duration and needed um, to support an economy. Okay, so let's talk about that. So the current environment, of course, from a
2: macro perspective, is indeed more volatile because of this uncertainty about inflation staying elevated and the associated uncertainty about rates staying elevated as the central banks continue to fight inflation and bring it back down again. How is that impacting the current deal flow landscape? From a macro perspective, if there is still a volatile period ahead, what what's going on with deal flow and volumes and how people look at the infrastructure as an asset class at the moment
1: yeah i mean we're continuing to see a lot of deal flow if you, if you take a little bit like a back a really big thirty thousand um, foot view for a second infrastructure is needed for any modern, well any economy really to support the growth of it to support um, the movement of goods and services to support you know society as well not just the economy but critical infrastructure around health, education, et cetera. And so from a macro tailwind perspective, just with huge population growth, with the world we live in today, there's just a lot of capital needed, right? There's just a lot of capital needed that can't all be funded by the government. And that capital, at the moment, we're seeing two particularly interesting areas. that We're seeing energy transition. And this is, like a, this is not a, a political issue. I think one way or another, the world needs more energy. And I think as a, at a macro level, generally speaking, they're moving towards energy transition assets over time. So that, that pool of capital needed to support that is huge. The other area is digital. And in a world where we're increasingly working online, social media, AI consumption and data needs now are huge. Um, and that's kind of a, a trend that's really emerged in the last kind of 12 months there is a lot of capital needed to support the infrastructure to make those things work. Think about data centers, fiber, and towers. So notwithstanding a negative macroeconomic environment now, there is a huge amount of capital needed. So we, the deal flow environment is certainly very active for us, and we tend to focus more around, we call it like mid-market infrastructure, as opposed to huge assets that are more connected to PPPs, P5s, and government. And that environment for us is really high. Part of the reason, actually, and there's a little nuance here in the US, is a lot of infrastructure is needed by corporates and, in fact, owned by corporates. Uh, Think about a logistics company that might own a port facility, for example. Think about a company like Microsoft that needs its own data centers. So the corporate environment is actually quite difficult, just given the economic backdrop, which presents a lot of opportunity for us to come in and partner with corporates And actually create innovative infrastructure investment solutions to continue continue supporting those macro trends that I spoke about. So yeah, we're excited. I mean, again, I don't want to be naive here and say that we're not concerned about the macro environment, but the infrastructure market is still booming and there is a big amount of capital needed to fund it. And when there is, you know, our job is to find the right deals in there. That makes
2: complete sense. I mean, because the macro environment obviously normally gets a lot of attention in financial markets but uh, with your long horizon uh, it of course makes sense to have a broader view of uh, well not only the near term but really what the outlook is exactly as you're mentioning on a number of different thematic fronts
1: there is a little bit of what we call a bid ask spread on some of the larger infrastructure assets and the reason is simple people are concerned about the environment as you rightly point out and we are too and if you are an owner of a in large infrastructure asset, why would you want to sell that in a market um, where, you, where you perhaps may not get the full price for it? Uh, a market that isn't as robust and healthy from an economic perspective, especially if you're talking about huge, large projects. So that bid-ask spread is interesting. And the way that we overcome that, and it's kind of a specialty at a, of Apollo, is by creating you know really customized and innovative solutions to bridge that. And we call that a structured solutions where we come in and say, you know, maybe we can partially fund the requirement of what you need and have an earnout concept, or we can come in with more of a more sophisticated thing, like a preferred structure. And we really try to come up with creative solutions that allow us to find deals, even in an, in an environment like we're in today, which is very negative. Let's now turn to
2: government policy, uh, because obviously government policy plays a really critical role uh, when it comes to infrastructure. And specifically here in the US, uh, it's now been a little more than a year and a half since President Biden signed the Infrastructure and Investment Jobs Act. And we're certainly also seeing a lot of initiatives in Europe, in Asia, around the world when it comes to infrastructure. But specifically to the initiatives we've seen in the US uh, over the last 18 months, uh, what has happened since then and how has that impacted uh, your world?
1: I mean, infrastructure always has an element of overlay, as you point out, like with government interaction, regulation, and sometimes that can be very positive, some, sometimes they can be very negative. We spend a lot of time thinking about that just given how critical some of these assets are that we invest in. I would say right now, at a really high level, governments around the world recognize the need to invest in infrastructure to create a sustainable long-term economy. So think about the issues around ports that we had in the US through COVID. And investing in that infrastructure. Think about um, other transportation infrastructure that's essential to the economy. Think about energy assets and securing your energy. All this big picture stuff really is impacted by the government, and you know we spend a lot of time thinking about it, interacting with it. With regards to the you know IJA and the IRA, for example, I mean the IA, IJA is a little bit more designed towards um, funding at the government level. And so it's, you know, encouraging new investments and new programs. The IRA, though, is a little bit more um, relevant for us in the private sector. Yeah, the IRA is the Inflation Reduction Act. That's correct, yeah. And that one is probably, I mean, they're both relevant to infrastructure, but that one is, the second is really IRA, more relevant to the private sector, because really what that offers is tax credits and other incentives, you know, that effectively promote private investment and infrastructure initiatives. And we see these types of things a lot over time. Um, when governments perhaps need private capital involved. And as you can appreciate, right, it it is some of these investments that we're going into are very sensitive, right? Like, you know, they're very critical to an economy. And so governments sometimes need to provide incentives, credits, to really encourage uh, continued construction of these assets, and in some cases, actually just to encourage job growth as well. Um, which is really important given the size of these projects. So that's been really useful for us. It also touches on, I think, a broader theme that we're seeing around the world of, you know, onshoring versus offshoring, and you know, changes in geopolitical thinking around trade, for example. And I think you know, some parts of the IRA are certainly designed to encourage d- domestic production uh, and consumption of some of those assets and tax credits that are provided, as opposed to offshoring. And that's just something that we're seeing more just broadly across all economies. Yeah. And one, uh, just to follow up on that, I
2: mean, as you and I have also talked about a lot, I mean, one very specific aspect of the Inflation Reduction Act that Biden signed in August of 2022 is the focus on climate change and consequently on investing in clean energy and renewables. Uh, Specifically, when it comes to climate change and clean energy investing and energy transition, uh, what impact has this specifically had on infrastructure investing?
1: I mean, it's had a big impact and you hit the nail on the head. That was really designed to encourage a lot more um, capital into energy transition. And, you know, sometimes this topic can get very political. Uh, You know, we sort of stay out of that. And what we really just say is that, you know, regardless of where you sit um, politically, there is a general large pool of capital moving towards energy transition and a general push around the world over a long period um, to move towards cleaner energy. And so with that in mind, there's a lot of capital, a lot of opportunities. And I think that what the administration really did was designed to try to encourage that. And so, you know, we've had a lot of experience with that, uh, both in in terms of assets like offshore wind, for example, onshore solar, um, some renewable royalties experience as well. And frankly, you know, that's what the IRA was designed to do is really to encourage investment in that space.
2: Let's also talk about, I mean, other policies that the U.S. government has put in place, uh, such as uh, industrial policy, for example, the CHIPS Act, Uh, and a number of these policies, of course, in particular, of course, the policies aimed at uh, homeshoring, unshoring, uh, friendshoring, reshoring, meaning getting production and getting activity back uh, to the U.S., has, of course, created some trade tensions with China. Uh, The war in Ukraine is another issue that has brought energy dependency into high relief with many seeking alternatives in renewables, like we just discussed. What does all this, I mean, these
1: geopolitical responses, uh, what do they mean for infrastructure investors? You know, when you're taking long-term views, like we have to, you have to be very careful around, you know, uh, administration changes, for example, or views around, you know, geopolitics that might influence and change the need for infrastructure assets. What's clear to us, though, is that we try to focus and step away from that and say, well, you know, what does, what does the economy need, like the US, for example? And there is a much greater push for more renewable energy. And there's also a push for more energy security, partly driven by what you're talking about. But independent of that, that's just a need that the US has. And that will be a long multi-decade need which is therefore attractive to us as infrastructure investors. So we try to avoid investing in assets which may be subject to, I just said, geopolitical risk and changes in policy and really focus around what the underlying need is for that economy in that country and try to invest in that because that's really what we're looking to do, which is is long-term investing. So it's it's definitely challenging and there's a lot of things happening in the world right now. You hit the nail on the head with Ukraine, tension with China. And you need to make sure that you're investing in assets that are susceptible to very short changes and needs, and they're going to be around for a multi decade period.
2: So, in other words, your horizon in investments in infrastructure is so long that even if I were to ask you about the 2024 presidential election in the US, elections in Europe, elections uh, around the world, is the general assessment that it doesn't really have a major impact as such? On infrastructure investing, uh, broadly speaking,
1: it, it it shouldn't. I mean, you can always get caught out, right? And I think that's why I go back to the essentiality of the asset. We should we should be investing in assets that are needed, kind of almost no matter what, if you like, and not needed, you know, on a four year basis during a political cycle. It should be stuff that's long duration, needed through cycles, and just fundamental to making you know an economy or a society work. And for us, you know, those two big friends I talked about, digital, for example, there is just more and more need for digital uh, infrastructure in the US to support the rollout of 5G, to connect people in the society that we live in, to support the data um, requirements needed for things like things that aren't even really out there right now, like autonomous vehicles, um, AI. So that we feel is a multi-decade trend that we want to be part of um and the same with energy transition regardless of wh- who wins the election in the next cycle. Okay so we've talked about the macroeconomic
2: backdrop for infrastructure investing we've talked about government policy and the importance of that for infrastructure investing so let's now turn to the corporate finance part of infrastructure investing namely what opportunities are you seeing in the market today for investors for example i mean let's start with the opportunities within the capital structure of companies themselves how do you see relative value between equity and debt in infrastructure today?
1: With rates having increased, right? If you think about like where the risk-free rate is, for example, a lot of infrastructure assets on the equity side, what we call in the industry core infrastructure, long-term contracted, safe steady, they were pricing at, you know, late single-digit IRs. So, you know, like eight to ten percent. Does that really make sense when you can get, you know, government debt and even corporate infrastructure debt? Uh, related assets, are pretty uh, you know, close to close to the same amount on a relative risk perspective? I don't think so. So for us, you know, we're really, when we're looking at equity stuff, we're looking at where we can create a lot more value and we're looking at equity opportunities that that are really a lot, sort of call, call it mid-teens rather than low single digit R's um, just because the relative value isn't there. So I actually, I would say that there's opportunities in both pockets, equity and debt, and we are looking at both. And you know, from our perspective, if we do an equity investment, or when we look at one, we really want to make sure that we have stability around it, and we have a value creation plan around it uh, that we can actually execute as well. Because if it's a debt investment, it's great, but rates could go down again, especially if it's floating, and it's obviously going to be a more passive investment for us that we have less control in. So, you know, we spend time looking at both, and our job is—you know—risk return isn't a straight line, right? As we all know, it's, it's not linear it moves uh, and it changes over time. And our job is to find the best pockets of risk return.
2: Yeah, and with the opportunity today, if the risk-free rate or the Fed funds rate is at roughly 5%, then you have view the opportunity set at the moment in infrastructure from the lens of, well, if the risk-free rate is zero, or if it's five, or if it's even at risk of going higher because the Fed might raise rates more, that does have an impact of how you think about the attractiveness of debt relative to equity in your investments definitely yeah absolutely what type
1: of areas are you looking at in this current environment i think um, the first thing i'd say to apollo is we're a value shop we look for good value we're not looking just to generate and you know deploy billions and billions of dollars without yeah, per- actually having- purchase
2: price matters
1: as we all know exactly and that, that, you know you and i say that anyone here that works here knows that but for the for the listeners out there that's a fundamental principle and I think that's interesting in the context of infrastructure because I take the view that a lot of large scale operational existing infrastructure has very little value extraction left. Think about like a utility that's been operated and regulated for a few decades already. Think about an existing transport asset that's you know been owned already by private equity owners. So you know that it's operating very efficiently. So the first thing I talked to is size. And for us, we just feel there's a lot more value in what we call the mid market, which is deals that are, by and large, less than call it a billion dollars. Like you know, typically around two hundred to five hundred million dollar deals. That's because the mid market for us, firstly, there's more deal flow. Um, secondly, are typically uh, more opportunities for consolidation and more opportunities to continue buying assets and building the infrastructure out. And typically, they're not as sophisticated and not as managed. Uh, Or not managed to the extent that large scale infrastructure is. So there's more value creation opportunity. So we really like that mid market space. And, you know, we spend a lot of time um, going out looking for partners, looking for opportunities in small to mid scale infrastructure. And, you know, with the view that let's grow it, let's build it out, uh, you know, if it's a, I, I don't know, if it's a, A wind farm, for example, you know, building additional wind farms in and around it, just to give you a really basic example, and just continuing to grow the asset out um, so that we can effectively sell it as large-scale infrastructure. The other thing that we talked about, I mentioned before, and just to recap of that, is the energy transition space and digital infrastructure. The third one, though, which I already talked about, the third one, though, is also transportation infrastructure. It's really clear to a lot of people uh, that a lot of transportation infrastructure is crumbling in the US. And I think that's going to be a big place that we can play alongside logistics type investments that support that transportation.
2: Okay, so we're getting towards the end of our conversation here. But before we leave the investment side, with a very long horizon in all the investments that you make, I mean, you and I often talk about the economic data. And you know, I worry about the next employment report, the next inflation print. I worry about the short-term data. And obviously, you don't really need to worry about the data, at least not in the in in the near term. Uh, so, what are the headwinds to infrastructure investing? What keeps you up at night? Given you have such a long horizon for
1: everything that you're investing in. I mean, I don't want to pretend like we're immune, and we, as you know, I worry, and I think you worry a lot for the whole firm as well around the economic market that we're in. Um, so it does it does concern me. The other thing I would say though is there is sometimes a a bit of a supply demand imbalance of capital there's a lot of people that want infrastructure and so there's a lot of allocations and capital sent to it but there's only a finite amount of assets and so sometimes in a market like that where there's a lot of capital chasing limited amount of assets there can be valuation pressure and you know our job is to find good deals and like we spoke about really find value and so that's something that we that's why we focus more on the mid market and i think that you know that concerns me for some folks that have you know over the last couple of years really Paid exceptionally high valuations for some of the assets have done. We've avoided that and we've stayed away from that. But I think that you know that could cause issues, you know, in the industry because infrastructure should be long duration. Like I said, it should be relatively good, stable value. But if people are paying too much for any asset or any deal, then it may not end up well for them, and that may have flow on impacts to how people view infrastructure. So it's probably something that you know is a little tangential, but certainly on our minds. We're getting
2: to the end of the conversation, and I just wanted to. Introduce a new segment to the show here, which uh, we would call the personal recommendation, which is basically a question about you and what you do when you're not focused on investing. This could be a book that you're reading, a movie you've seen, a cultural recommendation, a hobby, anything really. So Dylan, what is
1: your personal recommendation? I tell my team, you have to have a passion outside of work to be effective at work. I totally agree. And, you know, it's in a time constrained world that we live in traveling time zones and doing deals. It's very intensive. But for me personally, my passion is uh, free diving and spearfishing, which is basically, you know, not scuba diving, but basically going out in the ocean. I'm very big on ocean conservation actually. And so, you know, we do a little bit of spearfishing as well, where we go and basically catch fish through free diving. And when you go home to
2: Australia, you get a chance to watch uh, Australian soccer games also? Frankly, I've been meaning to talk to you for some
1: time. I recall you're an avid soccer fan, and uh, you might recall in the World Cup last year, played, Australia played Denmark. Yeah, I'm sorry for raising that, Torsten. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> uh, I'd been We haven't caught up in a while, and I had to raise that. I actually uh, was no, you're fortunate good. To, to be at the game myself.
2: <laughs> as, as I have told you, I play soccer once a week uh, every Tuesday in Brooklyn Bridge Park with a uh, a team of friends uh, so uh, this is something that uh, is my passion we all work very hard at uh, at uh, at what we do uh, but we got to have um, things we do also outside of uh, of uh, the investing world which we spend so much time on uh, but thanks so much uh, dylan i really truly appreciate your friendship and you coming on the show here this has really been a fascinating discussion it's really great to hear your views on infrastructure and learn more about your process and how you think about the outlook. So thanks so much for talking to us today. And thank you very much to everyone for listening in. Thanks, Thorsen. This podcast was recorded on June the 1st, 2023.
0: Thanks for listening. A quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Audible or by visiting ApolloAcademy.com, our educational website dedicated to alternative investing where you can also sign up to have Torsten's Daily Spark economic blog delivered directly to your inbox. Once again, thanks for listening.
3: Apollo Global Management Incorporated, together with its subsidiaries, Apollo, makes no representation or warranty expressed or implied with respect to the accuracy, reasonableness, or completeness of any of the statements made during this podcast, including, but not limited to, statements obtained from third parties. Opinions, estimates, and projections constitute the current judgment of the speaker as of the date indicated. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Apollo and are subject to change at any time without notice. Apollo does not have any responsibility to update this podcast to account for such changes. There can be no assurance that any trends discussed during this podcast will continue. Statements made throughout this podcast are not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for accounting, legal, or tax advice and do not constitute an investment recommendation or investment advice. Investors should make an independent investigation of the information discussed during this podcast, including consulting their tax, legal, accounting, or other advisors about such information. Apollo does not act for you and is not responsible for providing you with the protections afforded to its clients. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security, product or service, including interest in any investment product or fund or account managed or advised by Apollo. Certain statements made throughout this podcast may be forward-looking in nature. Due to various risks and uncertainties, actual events or results may differ materially from those reflected or contemplated in such forward-looking information. As such, undue reliance should not be placed on such statements. Forward-looking statements may be identified by the use of terminology including, but not limited to, may, will, should, expect, anticipate, target, project, estimate, intend, continue, or believe or the negatives thereof or other variations thereon or comparable terminology.